Lord's good, isn't he? He's, the Bible says the Lord's good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. A stronghold in the day of trouble. You say, I haven't had a day of trouble. You will. Trouble's part of life as much as you wouldn't have a you wouldn't know what a good day was if you didn't have a bad day. You have to have you have to have days of sickness, days of trouble to appreciate the days that are good. When the sun comes out, you have to appreciate it. people in Seattle. They they I've read that it's uh, for 360 days a year it's cloudy and rainy in Seattle, Washington. It's unbelievable. So when the sun comes out there, they are deeply appreciative of having to be able to see the blue sky. I went there and visited for one week. It was blue sky every day. I thought that's the way it was in Seattle. Everybody in Seattle kept telling me, now don't think this is the way it is. Don't think this is the way it is. It's cloudy and rainy and cold. And I said, well, why do you guys live here? Oh, we love it here. That's where Todd Whiff lived for a while. I went and visited him uh, one time on my way up to... Uh, I think it was an Alaskan cruise. We took, my wife and I took an Alaskan cruise, chartered a helicopter. They took us out to a glacier, set you down on a glacier, let you walk around this glacier. It was pretty nice. Pretty nice deal. They got to see salmon in the streams on the helicopter. You can see all the salmon going up the stream. It's a beautiful thing, beautiful deal. Other than the Morrises were with us there. We made good memories. Good memories. Uh, pray for Chris Barrows on vacation. Pray for, hopefully you're praying for those uh, 25 uh, folks or so, the young people, and then there's five counselors. Try to pray for them. Remember to pray for them. Put them somewhere around where you see it. And I just ask God to help them. I asked Thomas how he was doing. He said he's doing good. Things are going well. And uh, it's good. Appreciate, appreciate his work. Appreciate what he does around here. We miss him. I want to talk to you about two ways. This is, a, this is kind of a two-subject message tonight. We're starting out with the idea of two ways. If you haven't read the Old Testament, you don't know God. You know only, if you know Jesus, he said to know me is no, but there's a side, Jesus came as a lamb. He came as a tender sweet lamb that wouldn't hurt a flea, took all the kind of abuse, never struck back, really. Uh, but that's a side of God. But if you read the Old Testament, you get the other side of God, the God that hates sin, that there was the one who gave his son to be crucified on Calvary and put him through all he went through on Calvary because he hated sin. Why does he hate sin? Just because he's hateful? He hates sin because sin is the source of all the suffering and agony in this world. Think how much suffering in one night in the world. One night in this world. It's unbelievable. It's just it's past. You, you, if, you, if God would let you see it, it'd kill you. You couldn't handle it. You'd go crazy go out of your mind. If you knew what went on in the big cities of our country in one night. And the injustices that go on in one night. It'd drive you crazy. You couldn't take it. One of the troubles of being a police officer, and I've known numbers of police officers through the years, is they have trouble with mental health because of seeing so, always seeing the bad side of people. Pretty soon they get the idea maybe everybody's that way, but everybody's really not that way. 
but they're always associated with that kind of crowd. And especially your sheriff department, those people get in down on Anderson Avenue at night and getting out some of these places at night and they're doing things that just un unspeakable. And we wouldn't imagine to being done and it kind of hurts their spirit. If you're not careful, you gotta stay real close to God. But I was just this week going through Exodus chapter 27, which is uh, cursings and blessings and 28 so cursings and blessings and chapter 29 is a summation of all that. And uh, I, I got thinking again, God really, hates sin and I should hate sin like he hates sin now I'm not able to hate sin like he hates sin really in totality but in some degree rather than seeing how close we can get to sin we should see how far we can get away from sin that's what it says flee from the appearance of evil even the appearance of it because sin is the cause of all this suffering and all this agony and all these all the just this whole list of things that go on every day in this whole world. God has presented before us, as he says, in, and I'm going to read here in, in not only in Jeremiah, but in Deuteronomy 30. So you've got the blessings and cursings in, 20, in Deuteronomy 27, 28, and 29. Then he comes to 30, and with a summation, he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. Against you. He's talking to their, the children of Israel. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life. We use that as a slogan, don't we, about anti-abortion. Choose life, that, that both thou and thy seed may live. Now, does God do that because he doesn't like you? Because he's got a vendetta against us? He wants us to suffer? No. He's trying to keep us from death. Trying to keep us from suffering. And under this people thou shalt say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. That's Jeremiah. And it, but it goes on. It's not just encapsulated in the Old Testament. It's encapsulated new. What I just read, read to you makes, makes Jesus' words make sense. Be clearer. Jesus said to them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The way to what? He says, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. And Jesus said, I'm the way of life. Follow me on the way of life. He said, enter ye at the straight gate. Makes, makes sense out of Matthew 7, 13 here. Enter ye at the straight gate. That's a little narrow gate. Hard to get through. You have to squeeze through it. For wide. Now, that is a, that's the eight-lane highway going through a major city. That's a wide, broad way. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many be there that go thereat. So Jesus said, enter at this little narrow gate. And if you look at, I looked at Greek up on that, it means a gate you have to squeeze through. It's not a gate you just walk through. It's a gate you actually you squeeze through that to get in. Uh, he said, Go, go through that gate, but don't go the, the other way. The way of death is a way that leads to destruction, and it's easy to go that way. What do you have to do to go to hell? Nothing. Don't do anything. Don't, 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 don't take any action on Christ. Don't take any action on the Bible. Let it alone. Leave it alone. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, to me, that's the saddest verse in the Bible. The other sad verse, I could do a sermon on sad verses of the Bible. One sad verse of the Bible is, it says, Adam, where art thou? 
That's a sad verb. They've been meeting every evening when it got in the cool. By the way, do we know what it means by the cool of the evening in Florida? Yeah, yeah, yeah. About 90. Yeah, yes, we do. I can't even believe you'd say that. You keep your house 82. She keeps her house 82 and she says 78 is not cool. She'd be freezing with a jacket on at 78. I go out in the evening, it's cool on my porch, 78 degrees. I don't care what the temperature is, it's comfortable, right? You go out on the porch and even my wife and I get a, she has her little rocking chair, mom, paw kettle. We sit there in the rocking chair back and forth. Hey, Granny, how you doing? And we're looking and listening to the birds saying, you know, no, the end of the day. And I'm thinking, oftentimes I get on the porch and, and I'm sitting out there thinking, you know, Adam, it's Adam and Eve would look at each other and say, God's coming. Time for God to come. He say, Adam, that night he, after they fell, he went, it came back like normal. He came. Adam, where are thou? Adam left God. Adam left God. What a sad word. But sad words are here that few be there that find it. Don't be discouraged when you go door to door and few be there that find it. Don't be discouraged when you go house to house and get a bus ministry when few be there that find it. You're not going to undo Jesus' words. Now, there are moments where you get a lot, you know, a big crowd here, but really in the perspective of the world's population, 7 billion, 9 billion, they're saying something now, somewhere around 9 billion. Few be there to find it. Wish I could tell you. Wish I could tell you it was different. That's what the book says. So, Basically, he says, I set a way of life before you. I set a way of death before you in the Old Testament. Jesus basically says there's two ways. Old Testament says there's two ways. Jesus says there's two ways. He said one way is easy. One way you're already in it. You don't have to do anything, and you're going to die. You're going to face Jesus Christ, have to answer for your sin. You won't be able to answer for your sin. You're going to be condemned, and you're going to be cast away from God into a place called the Lake of Fire. It's a horrible thing. I hope nobody in the sound of my voice ever goes there. Or you can choose the narrow way. And the narrow way is not the easy way. Okay, it's not easy to be a Christian. It's wonderful to be a Christian. You know the songs, I'm glad to be a Christian. I'm glad to be a Christian, but there's times it's tough to be a Christian. Anybody tells you being a Christian is a cakewalk, they just haven't, they haven't been up against evil much. Maybe they've compromised. Maybe that's why they think it's easy. But if you'll do what God wants you to do, it's not going to be easy. The choice is yours. And it says there in Joshua chapter 24, 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I have that above the door in my house. You know, if I came to your house, would I know you were a Christian? I want you to go home tonight and think about that. If I came to your house, never been to your house before, if I just walked through your house, well, you never said a word. You just moved. If I walked through your house, never said a word, would I say these people were Christian? Put stuff up. Put stuff up in your house where I could go through your house and say these people were Christian. I can go through a graveyard and pretty well tell who the Christians are and who, the, who weren't. Christians will have, now not everybody's got a verse on their tomb necessarily as a Christian, okay? Some people use the Bible 
as a fetish. I don't know if you know what a fetish is. That's a rabbit's foot. I hope nobody in here has got a rabbit's foot in your pocket. I used to know some of the old boys carried rabbit's foot in their pocket. Honest to goodness, they did. I mean, going to Gospel Baptist Church carrying a rabbit's foot. That's a fetish. You think by putting a Bible verse on your car, you're going to sanctify it, and the police officer is going to let you go. He ain't going to let you go. He's going to double your fine for being a hypocrite. Going 95 mile an hour in a 70 mile an hour zone with a Bible verse on your car. Oh, oh, here's another one. Buy I support state troopers on there. That'll help you. <laughs> Calvinism is wrong. I'm not biased. But the more I study the Bible, the more I know it is absolutely wrong. Why? God has always given his creatures, always right there, has given his creatures choice. Just like he put two trees in the garden and said, there's two trees of all this stuff you got here. You can choose what you want, but don't take of those two trees. Those two trees will be sin to you, be trouble to you. Don't do it. Choice. Choice. We've been given choice. You are not predetermined by God to go to hell. You are not. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't know the beginning from the end. I wouldn't say that. For whom he did foreknow, then he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. God has foreknowledge. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows how all things are going to happen. He knows, how, he knows before you're born how you're going to choose, but he doesn't determine how you're going to choose. You can choose. You can be saved. I've had people tell me, I've sinned too much to be saved, preacher. No, the devil's telling you that. Your old flesh is telling you that. Oh, I committed the unpardonable sin. If you even care, you haven't. If you're worried about committing the unpardonable sin, I can tell you you haven't done it. The people who have committed the unpardonable sin don't give a rip. Because the, the, the worst judgment that God can possibly do to you or me is leave us. What do I mean by that? No more conviction. Read Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 is simple. He just they, they didn't want to know God, retain Him in their minds or interests, so He gave them over to reprobate minds. He said, I won't be around. I won't mess with you. Read Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 to the end. He tells those people, I came to you and called on you, and you didn't want to hear me, so when you call, I'm not going to be there. The worst thing God can possibly do to you is leave you alone. That's the worst judgment there could possibly be to a human being. That's reprobation. You say, people sometimes, we preachers will say, when we preach at the end, make a response, make a decision. And we'll warn people. Now, you know, this could be your last opportunity. The Holy Spirit may not come by you and convict you anymore. That's biblical. My spirit shall not always strive with man. You know, God, how many times does God owe you to come by? Really? Doesn't owe you at all. But in His mercy and grace... He comes by, and he comes by, and he comes by, and he comes by. But there, there can be a last time where he doesn't come by anymore. You know, you, you've, you've insulted, this, you've done despite to the spirit of grace, it says in Hebrews chapter 10. It's a serious problem. So let me go on. Now I'll try to get on to my, <laughs> to where I'm supposed to start. 
be followers of God. Take your Bibles if you have them. I'm not going to do it on the board here. It's just too much, too many, too many verses. 33 verses. I'm just not going to do it on this. So if you have your Bible, it's fine. If you don't have your Bible, I'll just read for you, and you'll be able to know it. We may not get through tonight on this. We probably won't, but I'll be able to have this in part two. Ephesians chapter five, verse one through thirty-three. So what I just what I just did was my first portion that we have choices. God presents to us the way of life and the way of death. And then I go to Ephesians chapter five, verses one through thirty-three, and I want to do an exposition if I can of these 33 verses, very important, very important to know the context of them about God, what God wants us, to, how he wants us to be. It says, be therefore, first verse, followers of God as dear children. That sets the tone. How are we supposed to live? The way God wants us to live. Who saved you? God saved you. Christ saved you. God saved you through Christ, so he wants you to live for him. And then there's three, three statements made in these 33 verses that mention about walking. First of all, found in verse 2, he says, Walk in love. Walk in love as Christ hath also hath loved us. Notice the comparison there. Walk in love. How? The word as Christ hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Well, that's big, isn't it? How much has God loved us? How much has Christ loved us? Well, I can't go through. It's really, really difficult for me to read the uh, crucifixion uh, account of the book of Luke without weeping, especially Luke. Luke was a physician. He was into detail. And he, he gives an account of crucifixion in such detail there. And it, it always breaks my heart that somebody loved me enough to do that. And then it really breaks my heart that God loved me enough to die for me. When he was in the garden and in, in suffering and internal pain, understanding the essence of sin, I never could understand how bad it was. The trouble with us is we're so much around sin, it, it, we, can be, we, can, we can sleep beside it and not even bother us much, but that's not the way God can do. God can't even bear to look upon sin, and here Christ came. It must have been so hard for him to walk among us for 33 years. That's why the Bible says in, in, in Isaiah 53, he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as our faces, were, we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And he, 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 he didn't have this, uh, this uh, thing that they made called the chosen. It always bothers me when people make movies about Christ or movies about the Bible and they, they, and they change it. They change what the Bible says. It bothers me. Now, I'm glad for Jesus and his name and the gospel to be put out there. I think that's what Paul says, you know, some preach Christ of envy, some of strife, but I'm just glad Christ is preached. I'm glad Christ is being made movies of rather than Muhammad. I'm glad Christ is being made movies of rather than Hindu. And that's the way it could be. But we're living in a country with so Christian that the movies and the things that are being made, at least it's about Christ. Now, don't get your theology off of them because they, they, they just violate the Word of God in many ways. They, 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 they do not care about the specificity of Scripture. And that's what bothers me about that. You see Jesus in The Chosen. He's laughing and being married. I don't think Jesus laughed. The Bible says the man of sorrow is acquainted with grief. I mean, he... he 
Why didn't he laugh? Because he came out of heaven and came among, down among his creation, which were just full of sin and evil. It would have to be hard to bear. And it was hard to bear for him. But he loved us so much it kept motivating him to move. The Bible says here, walk in love. How? As Christ has loved us. Interesting verse 3 and on it says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become of saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, uh, which are not convenient. The word jesting there has to do with vulgar jesting, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, that's immoral in a lot of directions, nor unclean person, that's immoral in a lot of directions, nor covetous, that's that what I talked about Sunday, materialism, money, and everything being ahead of your home, who was an idolater, because when you're covetous, you put money ahead of God. And God, first commandment, thou shalt not have no other God before me, you can't do that. You cannot serve God and money. That doesn't mean you can't make money. But you cannot be trusted if he's not, if Christ is not on the throne of your life, then he can't trust you because that pretty soon you'll be, you'll be making your decision based on the money and not based on what God wants you to do. I've known rich people who money was not on their throne. God was on their throne. Then God could trust them with riches and they had all kinds of wealth, but it never got on the throne. As I said Sunday, I won't go back over that. For this you know that no whoremonger, unclean person, or covetous who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You know that? It says, for this you know. For you that have Bibles there and looking at it. It says, for this you know. Now we like to we like to say people will people will practice immorality. And once in a while, they'll sing a Christian song on a t- like. Let's just go where I'm gonna go right where some of you know Elvis. People have argued with me that Elvis was saved. They've argued with me about it. Said Elvis was saved. He made Christmas albums that went around the whole world, and he, he they even get mad at me to try to insult me and say he's won more people of Christ than you ever thought about. Now, I happened to do a little investigation about Elvis Presley. I went to his mansion. I, I, I read some of the book his bodyguard wrote. His, he had an immoral practice in his life. Practice. Not occasional once in a while. It was a practice of immorality. What's the book say? No homemonger. Has any part. He said, this you know. Now, I'm not the one that makes the final judgment. That's what people get mad at me and say, well, you, what doesn't make a difference really what I think? It makes a difference what the Bible says. It makes a difference what God's going to say when he said, now, I would to God Elvis would be saved. But from what he did and what he acted and what his life was like, he was not saved. He was trying to use God as a ticket to heaven. God is not an insurance policy that you sign on the bottom line and then go do your thing. Because if you think that is right, you'll someday be horribly, horribly Disappointed when you stand before him. And he says, you knew me, but I didn't know you. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 23. Look it up. It's, I'm not making this stuff up. He says in verse 6, just after that verse I told you about, let no man deceive you with vain words, 
For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So he's saying there's people out there that are saying these folks that, that, that claim to be saved and are living like the world, they think they're saved and they're going to heaven and it's going to be okay. He said, now don't you, don't you be deceived by that talk. He said, for you know that no, no covetous person and no immoral person, and it says four other places of Scripture in the New Testament, it's a very similar statement with more detail, always begins with immorality. Somebody came to me years ago and said, about every six months, I go out and have an illicit affair. Oh, don't, oh that's, that's just common among men. Every six months, I say, you're going to, this person happened to attend this church. He attended here. And he, I'm surprised he told me. He said, about every six months, preacher, I go out and I, I just, you know, I just, you know, I get the itch and I go out and have a little affair. I said, you know, I hate to tell you this, you're going to break hell wide open. He looked at me. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I, I said, you're going to break hell wide open. That's me to you. You're going to break hell wide open. And I got scripture to back up what I'm saying. Where's your scripture? Because it doesn't make any difference what we think. It makes a difference what God says. By the way, he quit that. Verse 7, be therefore partakers, be, be not ye therefore partakers with them. What's he talking about? He's talking about when you walk in love, he's talking immediately from walking in love, he goes to the various kinds of sins people should stay away from because the subject of sanctification is what I'm talking about. Separating yourself away from sin and to God. The sanctification is demonstration of true love. When I got married, before Justice of the Peace in Greenwood, South Carolina, 10 minutes, one witness, judge, no, just to the peace, witness, give me my marriage vows. I vowed to be faithful to this one woman, excluding all other women. If I love her, I'll do that. If I don't love her, I'll be promiscuous. If you love God, to be faithful to God. If you don't love God, you'll be promiscuous with the world. You know, when the children of Israel would fall back into sin, what did God, how did God refer to that? He said, you went a whoring on me. He used it in an immoral, as an immoral statement, which has always been curious to me, preacher. A, he used that like an immoral, Im, what it was, it was, it was cheating on God. How would you women like your husband to cheat on you? How do you feel about that? It should bring out the murder instinct in you. Or the pan of boiling water. I can give you some ideas. So he said, walk in love. And then he immediately goes to separating from the world. If you love God. And we're talking love here. We're talking agape love. Let me define it. Many times I've said this. Agape love 
is not, girls especially listen to me right now. It's not emotional. It's commitment. A soldier, when he dies for his country, isn't, oh boy, I get to die for my country. A soldier does dies for his country out of agape love for his country. Agape love oftentimes has, is the opposite of emotions. It's opposite of emotions. You do, when you have agape love, you do what is right to do, not what you feel like doing. You with me on that? It's a commitment. Till death do you part for sickness or health, riches or poor. That's the kind of relationship. Boy, I don't have, I am running out of time. Okay, here's the deal. In this chapter, and the preacher knows this, is one of the most thorough definitions of marriage anywhere in the Bible. In this chapter, do you believe a text has a context? A text without a context is a pretext. In other words, the Bible doesn't just, you can't just take a verse of the Bible out of, out of the air and just put it anywhere you want it. It has a context it was put in. When I'm talking to you, we have a context that we talk in. You can't take one sentence I said out of context and say that's what he said. Right? The Bible says uh, Judas went out and hung himself. The Bible also says Jesus said, go thou out and do likewise. Did you pay attention to this or did you pay attention to me? Let me say that again. You can't take a verse out of here and put it over here and make a doctrine of it. It has a contextual setting to it. This contextual setting is so powerful. It's amazing. Because the first 20 some odd verses, in fact, the first 21 verses of this fifth chapter deal with walk, these three types of walks that I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. But the first one's walk in love. And then it gives two more. And then, in that context, it describes marriage. What is marriage like? Because marriage, God intended born-again Christians' marriages to demonstrate the love of God to the world. The world, they can't stay married hardly, man. They struggle. Some of them can. Some of them can. But most of the time, they struggle, don't they? They got six, what, 60% of people divorced. But Christians ought not to be that way. Now, you may get saved after you got divorced. But once you got saved, you should settle down on that issue. And you should reflect the love of God like he loved us, so we should also love him. And I'm going to show you seven comparisons from verse 22, I believe it is, verse 33 at the end of this chapter. Not tonight. Not tonight. So he says, in verse 7, be partakers, be not partakers with them. Just stay away from them. They're sometimes in darkness. Now you're the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's point two. Well, let me do this. Walk in love. Second point, walk as children of light. For you were sometimes in darkness, but now you're the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. Sanctification, demonstration of true love. I mentioned double-minded betrayal is demonstration of disdain. 
How does my wife know I love her, agape love her? Because I've been true to her. How do I know she loves me? She's been true to me. What's being true to me? It's rejecting all the illicit things that come her way. And I object, reject all the illicit things that come my way. When sin, as I'm born again, Christ is, Christ, I'm the, the Bible calls me the bride of Christ, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but if I'm the bride of Christ, the same rules go for me and Christ as it does for you, you ladies and your husband, or men and your wives. You, same rules. Same rule. If you, would, if you love your husband, you're going to be true to him, ladies. If, if your husband loves your wife, you're going to be true to him. If you love Jesus, you're going to reject the illicit part of the world and be true to God. Make sense to you? That's sanctification. Sanctification is as natural as drinking water. It's not construed or con contrived. It's not, it shouldn't be just with fundamental people. It should be with Bible-believing people. Double-minded people are, obviously it says in James there, don't let them think they're going to be have any of their prayers answered. So, I'm going to stop there because it, this thing just gets better. This just gets better as we go down the road here in verse 8, verse 9, and down through. I hope you can hang in there with me on this. This is a little complicated, but I believe we can put it together when we get down to the end of it, put all the parts together for you, and make it make perfect sense by the time we hit verse 33, three weeks from now. No, two weeks from now. Father in heaven, thank you tonight for the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you for the Bible. We pray that you'd help us to have a contextual understanding of your word. Help us to walk in love. Not, not let our emotions toss us about like every wind and wave of doctrine, but to be stable and be solid. Help us to have the kind of love that pleases you and that would please our, our mates if we're married. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.